Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ancient Athens, Greece, 400 BCE. A splash of garros on your food, master. We could easily imagine a slave asking a guest or his master a question like this during the dinner party at the early stages of a long-drawn symposium on this typical lively drinking party of mostly wealthy or aristocratic Athenians. is where we find one of the most unique flavoring condiments of classical Greece and Rome called garros, or garum, or most commonly known today, fissos. Here, we would find it naturally on the tables of every citizen thinking himself as a respectable member of the Athenian democracy or the Roman Republic, throwing lavish dinner parties for his guests. There are more details in a unique document from Sicily or Greece of around 400 BCE, the strange sensuous banquet of Philoxenus, a poetic celebration of obsessive culinary pleasures, a literary dinner party. Water for our hands, a silver jug, a gentle child to pour it, godly springs of slender middle woven for wreaths. In came a pair of slaves with a shiny table, and another, and another, until they filled the room. They fetched in snow-white barley rolls in baskets, a casserole, no, bigger than that, called a marmite, full of noble ill, with a look of the conger about him, honey-glazed shrimps besides, my love, squid sprinkled with sea salt, baby birds in flaky pastry, and a baked tuna, gods, what a huge one, fresh from the fire, and the pan and the carving knife. Enough steaks from its tender belly to delight us both as long as we might get to stay and munch. And so on. On this manner, the poetic description of Philoxenus continues. But what is important for our story is that on most, if not all of these dinners, the food would have had some garum in it. And the guests, 
probably would have had a small amphora with a liquid to season their meal. So what exactly is garros or, or garum as we know it now then? Garum is um, what we call fish sauce and is a forgotten ingredient in the Western Europe. I've read somewhere that's been described as the funky fish gut sauce that was the ketchup of the ancient world. Which, to be fair, is not too far from the truth. Garum was the ubiquitous table sauce, the go-to flavoring agent of the ancient world. Cooks used it in foods, gourmet guests used it at the table. But before we go to the history of Garum, let's start our story a little bit earlier. I'm Thomas Dinas, and this is the Delicious Legacy Podcast. Welcome to our latest episode. Today, we're going to examine the story of uh, one of the most popular ingredients in the ancient Mediterranean world, garum, or garros in Greek, or as we would describe it today, fish sauce. Sit back and enjoy. Let's go back. Let's rewind and start our story a little bit further into the past. 5.3 million years ago to be precise, when the Mediterranean was at her infancy. As we will hear later on, she is the central element in our story about Karum. The history of uh, the Mediterranean Sea is governed by its tectonic plates and the movement of the African plate, the Arabian plate and the Eurasian plate. The tectonic plates shrunk the previously massive Tethys Ocean and isolated the, the westernmost part of it from what we call now the Atlantic Ocean, forming the Mediterranean Basin. As it was completely isolated, it took a few thousand years to almost dry up. So the Mediterranean Basin was an almost entirely dry expanse of low-lying land between 1.5 kilometers and 2.7 kilometers beneath today's sea level. So at this point, roughly 5.3 million years ago, uh, something happened with the Straits of Gibraltar and water started moving uh, from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean. In a few years, the basin was filled again. The formation of the sea is important in our story because despite this new great expanse of water, the peoples of the Mediterranean weren't isolated, but indeed more connected. As far as seas go, the Med is relatively calm for long periods of the year and navigable with relatively small or primitive vessels. The civilizations of Europe, Asia and North Africa all engaged in an intertwined complex network of trade. Long before the time of Alexander the Great and the Roman Empire, we have evidence of this uh, interconnection and the trade networks. One such example of trade networks between the different kingdoms and peoples of the Mediterranean, it can be seen at the bottom of, uh, of the Mediterranean Sea, just outside what is today the coast of southern Turkey. Here, archaeologists have found um, shipwrecks as far back as 3,600 years ago. One of the most famous ones is the Uluburu shipwreck, which um, uh, we found at its cargo tin and copper ingots, uh, as well as jars with olives, almonds, figs, pomegranates and other food items. 
We can also see the importance of the Mediterranean Sea at the naming of it by the ancient peoples. So we know the Greeks referred to it as simply the sea or the Great Sea. The Carthaginians uh, as the Syrian Sea and the Romans called it Mare Nostrum which uh, translates um, in English as Our Sea. So uh, from around from around 800 BC, uh, the Greeks um, started forming colonies uh, and dominating the trade between the Eastern Mediterranean Sea and uh, Black Sea and Southern Italy, where they had the main uh, body of their colonies. And um, the Phoenicians, which are people who inhabited uh, what is modern-day Syria and uh, Lebanon, they colonized uh, North Africa, they made the famous city of Carthage, which became a powerful player on the western half of the Mediterranean area, and uh, went on to uh, create more colonies and city-states across uh, North Africa and, Sp and the shores of Spain. Those two big players, the Carthaginians and the Greeks, uh, they started um, trading, and we have the first recorded um, production of uh, fissos or garum, uh, by the ancient Greeks of the Black Sea colonies. This was around the 5th century BCE. Clearly the abundant fish um, resources of the Black Sea played a role in the production of this extremely popular condiment. From the next century, so around the 4th century BC, we have evidence of uh, the Carthaginians making fissos in Cadiz, in uh, today's Spain, which was uh, an important trading port at the edges of the known world. Uh, back then was called Gadir. And uh, we have evidence of exporting of fissos from Gadir to ancient Athens. So from, uh, from, the, from the rise of power of uh, ancient Athens, um, we go swiftly to Alexander the Great and his conquest of the Persian Empire. And from there, uh, the doors open uh, for the vast riches and new foods and luxuries of uh, of Asia to the Greeks, to the Greeks of mainland Greece and southern Italy, of course. At this point, a more formal Greek cuisine emerged, which uh, later, during the Hellenistic period, so around the 3rd century BCE, uh, seems to have been defined around the, the use of garros or garum. And it is this cuisine that arrived in Rome in the 2nd century BC and when the Roman elites uh, fell under the spell of the Greek dining culture. This most likely happened, uh, the, whole, uh, the whole idea and the whole, um, the whole cuisine was uh, transferred wholesale with the use of Greek um, cooks by the Roman elites. So, we see, fish sauce was really important to the Carthaginians, to the Greeks and to the Romans themselves. And as an example of the supreme popularity and fashion status of Garum in the Roman Empire, we have the words of Martial, a Roman poet from Hispania, uh, which is modern-day Spain, who lived um, between 38 AD and 102 AD, and he's best known for his 12 books of epigrams, which are short, witty poems that cheerfully satirize uh, the city life. We know from his verse what he says about Garum, written to accompany a little present of a jar of garum. Here is lordly garum, a costly gift made from the first blood of steel gasping mackerel.
So from this uh, verse, uh, it's almost certain that uh, garum was a table condiment and was made from the blood and viscera of very fresh fish. Sometimes this was handled by the diner himself and used in relatively small amounts over already cooked food. The other more commonplace uh, kind of sauce was called liquamen and was used in the kitchen by the cook to add salt and other more complex flavors to most dishes, just as we add um, salt or soy sauce or Worcester sauce during cooking. Uh, so this, uh, this liquamen was made using various kinds of whole small fish which were then mixed with salt and left to dissolve and ferment for up to three months in the hot Mediterranean sun. The resulting liquefied fish was removed from its bone and it was shipped all across the Mediterranean in special amphorae. This whole fish sauce is very similar to the Thai fish sauces so popular today. And on that note... Um, I would like to add that the Roman fish sauce, the Greek and Roman fish sauce, was nothing like the modern-day anchovy paste. Using the latter, uh, it's been the downfall of many attempts to recreate ancient recipes. So fish sauce was manufactured at factory sites along the coast. Obviously, you want, you want them to be near the ports, near the fishing ports, uh, so you have the freshest fish. This were typically beside the beach or a harbour. The fish was only a few hours from the net when the process began and um, basically as far as away from the towns because the whole process stinks quite a lot as you would imagine. A short reminder. Hi there, I'm Thomas Dinas and this is the Delicious Legacy Podcast, a scrumptious podcast about ancient gastronomy. If you like food, history, you want to know about ancient recipes, unknown herbs and long-lost spices, this is the podcast for you. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, Delicious Legacy and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. At this point, I'd like to remind all the listeners that you can find the Delicious Legacy on Acast, iTunes, TuneIn and Pocketcasts. Please subscribe to keep updated with new episodes as well as other surprises. I'd like to add that I've created a Patreon page where you can subscribe and help me run this podcast. Your support can give me the opportunity to add more quality content for you in the form of recipes, images, videos and related articles. If you have enjoyed the episode so far, please consider heading to patreon.com forward slash The Delicious Legacy or Google it, uh, type Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N and the name of the podcast, The Delicious Legacy, and you'll find how you can help me run this podcast. Thank you. Okay, and we're back for some garum magic. These uh, sauces are not um, a rotten, decaying uh, substance. That's a, the important distinction we have to make here. What took place was not bacterial putrefaction, which given the high proportion of salt would be impossible, but enzymic proteolysis, a process in which the enzymes in the viscera of the fish convert the solid protein into a liquid form. So the viscera is therefore essential to the process. Without them, the protein does not dissolve. Now, you and I, uh, the modern gourmands, uh, 
we probably understand and uh, know too well from our modern experience. There wasn't going to be one product called fish sauce and fit every single occasion. As always, there was an elite one, one for commoners, and many, many other versions in between. We know one called Muria, which was garum made from fish that they were gutted and had their heads removed. We know of Hemation, a fermented product that consisted of nothing but the guts and blood of fish, and it was made as a byproduct of the fisheries. We also have, for example, when Marshall describes his sauce being made from blood of a still-breathing mackerel, that this implies that it was a black and bloody sauce. Uh, or we have surviving Greek recipes for fish sauce that also affirm the importance of the distinction between blood viscera sauce and one made from whole fish. As you can see, things can get a little bit complicated uh, when we muddle through the murky waters of ancient gastronomy. One could buy aged elite black mackerel garum, ordinary black tuna garum, elite liquamen cooking sauces made from mackerel, or cheaper cooking sauces made with a smaller fish, or a tuna or mackerel muria, both of which could also be aged or new. All of these products could also come in second or even third grade versions. Aged elite black mackerel garum, the expensive table condiment sauce, would be lost in the cooking process and wasted. Therefore, it needed to be seen by the gourmet and to be experienced, valued and discussed. We can conclude it would have been the table sauces handled by the guests or the host himself. In Roman cuisine, the use of garum was enriched with different combinations of the sauce. So we have um, garum with wine, called inogarum, with honey, meligarum, with vinegar, oxygarum, with water, hydrogarum, or with dry spices, such as dill, oregano, coriander, celery, or even mint. These sauces were used as condiments for literally everything, from meat and fish to vegetables, salads, desserts, bread, and wine dipping. From, uh, from the amazing book of uh, Sally Granger's The Classical Cookbook, the best way to use, to use uh, garum in all recipes is the following. Take a liter of grape juice and reduce it by half. Let it cool and blend a bottle of Thai Nam Pla fish sauce with it. Once you have that um, table condiment, uh, you can use it uh, in a recipe called uh, honey glazed prawns with oregano and black pepper. It's a relatively simple dish and I made countless times uh, at, at home uh, for friends or in parties, dinner parties or in some themed uh, ancient Greek dinners. And I've, I've done it as a starter and it's relatively easy. So for a, for a decent starter for two, take a, eight large prawns, 15 milliliters of olive oil, 30 milliliters of fish sauce, 30 grams of clear honey, a handful of chopped fresh oregano and black pepper. Place the oil, fish sauce and honey in a saucepan, then add the prawns. Saute gently in the cooking liquor for about three minutes. Remove the prawns, keep them somewhere warm, and let the sauce cook a little bit more uh, until it reduces by half. Then add oregano, pour over the prawns, and sprinkle liberally with fresh ground black pepper. Serve with crusty bread and some green salad. 
Similarly, we can make homemade smoked sausages from a recipe of the Book of Apicius, which uh, includes a minced pork belly, a pine nuts, a herb called rue, which we talked uh, on a previous episode, peppercorns, savory, cumin, bay berries, fresh parsley, and then we can simply grill the sausages on the barbecue or in our oven. But what happened to Garum? How did he disappear from, uh, from our cuisine? Before we get into that, let's listen to our fellow podcaster, Ancient History Hound, telling us about his podcast about ancient Rome and Greece. Are you interested in ancient history and the occasional pun? If so, Ancient History Hound is for you. Hi, my name's Neil, and I'm the host of Ancient History Hound, a podcast which covers a range of topics across ancient Greece and Rome. Whether you're someone new to it all or a seasoned veteran, I've got you covered. Find Ancient History Hound wherever you get your podcasts from. Alternatively, visit my website, ancientblogger.com, or find me on Twitter, at ancientblogger. Okay, and we are back discussing the disappearance of Garum from Western Europe. It is certainly a lost and unknown ingredient in the Western Europe. Um, countless times um, people said that they have rediscovered it somewhere in some far-flung corner of uh, the Mediterranean, but every time that seems to be a myth. What uh, what we know so far is that it wasn't used in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, what we call now the Byzantine Empire. So at the time of the Byzantium, uh, it was still produced in uh, Constantinople, which is a modern-day Istanbul, and uh, it was eaten in the, at the palace in uh, dishes like um, with a roast kid or pork and so on. We have a very entertaining account uh, from Yudpand uh, of uh, Cremona, who was a bishop and a diplomat. So by the year 1968 AD, he reports from Constantinople uh, with writings of um, another very unpleasant liquid made from fish. This is uh, by now, um, by now obviously it seems to be dead in the Western Europe, in the Western Mediterranean, uh, and clearly in order to to moan and diminish the importance of uh, the Byzantines. Uh, <laughs> clearly, he, 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 made it, he made it sound like some awful, unpleasant sauce. After the fall of the Byzantine Empire, uh, we kind of lose, lose track of uh, Garum. But by the year um, 1553, we have the last appearance of Garos on... Uh, on a written account, and this was by the French naturalist Pierre Bellon on his book Observations. Here he tells us that uh, it's still made at the fishing ports of Constantinople, and um, it's a very popular condiment. Of course, clearly it fell out of favor later on at the Ottoman palace, so from then onwards we lose any track or mention of uh, Garum. So apparently, there is um, the last vestige of garum in Europe, which is uh, a rare Italian sauce called, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, Colatura di Alici, traditionally made in the small fishing village of Cetara. 
and I think that's in uh, the province of uh, Salerno. All of which brings us uh, to the modern Thai or Vietnamese fish sauce, which is, uh, which is a very handy ingredient in our kitchen arsenal. I think it should be used um, more often and in a lot of different dishes. And if we take, um, if we take inspiration from the Book of Apicius, which has hundreds of recipes using garum, uh, we can clearly see that it was not only important back then, but it can be important now as well, and not playing a starring role, but to be there just under the surface, impregnating the dishes with uh, an intangible magic, focusing and waking up the natural flavors of uh, the ingredients. Once we do that, we can see, we can, we can definitely taste um, the depth and the umami of, uh, of, 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 the, of the garum in our dishes. And they are tasting like a, a hyped up versions of themselves. From modern Southeast Asian cuisine, we learn of a fermented squid blood viscera sauce that is used today in Japanese cuisine. It is known as ishiri and is used as a finishing sauce for sushi as well as cooked foods. I will um, post some pictures of that on my Patreon so you know that you can find it. So this particular um, sauce, that fish sauce, um, it tastes neither fishy nor salty and smells of the ion compounds from the blood. In the Japanese cuisine, there is also a whole fish sauce called isiru and many dishes are prepared with both. So for example, uh, the whole fish sauce is used for cooking and the blood viscera sauce finishes the dish. This sauce is truly fermented with bacteria and low salt. Uh, I've got, I found some, uh, some of the Isiru sauce in uh, some Japanese um, uh, supermarket in London and I can testify that it's really tasty. It has almost... Um, almost a smoky flavor in a sense and yeah you can definitely taste um, the ion compounds in a way uh, and it's definitely doesn't smell fishy doesn't have the intense smell of the fish sauce we know from the Vietnamese cuisine now the most weird thing here is that um, the the Japanese word for viscera is gari so what are the chances it would be rather interesting to draw a link between the ancient Roman garum and uh, Thai fish sauces on this point. Uh, but there aren't many references in historical documents from the region before the 7th century that mention them. Uh, also, we know as a highly valuable commodity uh, for the Romans, and given its portability, it's fun to imagine a connection and lineage between the two vastly disparate cooking styles. Uh, but in all probability, these sauces were developed independently. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. I've been Thomas Dinas, and this was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. And remember, if you liked what you heard, please uh, subscribe on my Patreon page and help me create interesting archaeogastronomic podcasts. Thank you. Credits and uh, sources uh, for more information regarding um, today's episode. Uh, the 
Uluburun Shipwreck, uh, which you can find more information about it on uh, um, Wikipedia or at the excellent podcast called uh, the Maritime History Podcast. And also from uh, the Fall of Civilizations podcast, the book Siren Fists, History of Food and Gastronomy in Greece by Andrew Dalby, the classical cookbook by Andrew Dalby again and Sally Granger, the Zanclean flood about the uh, formation of the Mediterranean Sea. I would like also to mention the third century book, The Diplos of Iste, by Athenaos, that helped us uh, by providing vast amounts of information from that era. Also the book uh, of um, the world-famous Noma restaurant, uh, The Noma Guide to Fermentation, where they provide recipes to make uh, the ancient garum, but also garum uh, made by beef or squid or roasted chicken wings, among, amongst other things. Incredible. Uh, check it out if you haven't. Thanks for tuning in. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.